This is the beginning of what we often term Holy Week. And it is a great time to remember. In fact, that's one of the words that comes to us out of our study in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. Remember. Remember Jesus Christ. If you grew up in a Jewish home, back in the day especially, there would have been multiple occurrences, feasts, uh, rituals used to jog your memory. Uh, for instance, when the Israelites went across the Jordan River into the new land out of slavery from Egypt, they put stones on the dry riverbed, 12 of them, one representing each tribe. And when the kids would say, why do you do this? They would say, we want you to remember what the Lord has done. Or, or Passover, the wonderful occasion, feast, festival, to recall when the Lord brought them out of Egypt before they went into the promised land. And the Passover service is a reminder of that night when the death angel came through the land but passed over every Hebrew house that had the blood applied to the door. And when you eat the Passover meal with haste, and the food that doesn't always taste so good, the kids would say, why are we doing this? To remember. To jog your memory. We come into the New Testament and we have things like the communion service, which we're going to enjoy this week on Friday. And maybe someone will say, why are we doing this? But each time we do it, we say, do this in remembrance. Remembrance of Jesus Christ. The older you, is, you, the older you are, the easier it is to forget. I mean to forget things that you're supposed to know. Your wife's birthday is, oh, that is, uh, uh, that is, <laughs> I used to know that. That is, uh, <laughs> that little full pause, not too bad unless she's standing there tapping her toe and wondering how come you forgot when she was born. But could you ever forget Jesus Christ? Yeah. We forget him almost every day. I mean, we don't forget perhaps the name and we may, maybe don't forget the story, but we need to jog our memory. Communion service does that, but so does Holy Week. Palm Sunday shakes us to remember Jesus, the one who came into Jerusalem as though he were going to set up his kingdom that day. And of course, that's what people were hoping. But he had other plans. And then Good Friday causes us to, to remember his crucifixion. And of course, next Sunday we remember his resurrection. But really, every Sunday we remember his resurrection because we meet on the first day of the week to celebrate the living king. Could Timothy ever forget Jesus? Well, Paul wants to make sure that he not only remembers Jesus Christ, but he remembers the salient facts of the gospel regarding the person and work of Christ, and that he remains to, to place Jesus as paramount, preeminent, first. And here's the problem with our memory. Although we might recall Christ, he often is not first. 
John Stott said, even so, the church has often forgotten Jesus Christ, absorbing itself instead now in barren theological debate, or now in purely humanitarian activity, or now in petty parochial business. The good things can become the main things when the only main thing should be Jesus. Let other things derive from him. Let other things flow from him. But remember Jesus Christ. In particular, Paul says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descendant of David according to my gospel. It is astounding how those statements epitomize the heart of the gospel. Jesus is the heart of the gospel, but so is his work. These two expressions, raised from the dead, descended from David, give full expression to all the details that we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's possible that Paul is drawing from a creed. I think four different times in the pastoral epistles, Paul uses creed language. It seems to be very uh, rhythmic and stated in pithy ways, like a song, like a poem, like a creed that would be repeated often. And he may be doing that. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, and this is my gospel so he says. If we're going to live a life that is useful to the master, which is our theme for studying the book of 2 Timothy, then you and I need to make first things first, which is allowing Jesus Christ to be preeminent. It was the Apostle Paul who said when he went uh, to the city of Corinth, I'm determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ. And him crucified. Corinth was a large city. I suppose similar to New York or L.A. Where there are many distractions. Many things to pull people away. Sometimes bad things. Often good things. But when good things replace the best thing. The good things become the bad things. And so we have a holy week. So that we can get readjusted. So that we can take all of our focus and put it back to where it belongs. On the person of Jesus Christ. Notice as we look at this portion of scripture. One of the things that is emphasized is the humanity of Jesus Christ. For he was raised from the dead. Which implies that he lived and died which implies that he indeed was very human. You say that is basic. It is basic but vitally important. At the heart of the gospel message is a very materialistic statement. The word was made flesh, body, bones, muscles. I had the opportunity to be in an anatomy lab this week. Actually, this is something at Cornerstone University. And only two universities in all of Michigan have this 3D 
uh, lab uh, situation, U of M and, and Cornerstone. It was like an $80,000 purchase. It's a, it's a long, uh, about seven feet by maybe three feet uh, technology box. It's like a computer. And what it has is the live 3D picture of a cadaver that was frozen after death, not making, causing death, and, and then sliced and pictures were taken of it at every slice of the body and then put into this 3D image and you can rotate the body, you can cut it anywhere, you can look at uh, all the different, it's, it's amazing. And I don't understand how someone can see that and say we are not fearfully and wonderfully made, created, designed. But Jesus had all of that. He had the muscles and, and he had the nerves and he had the bones and he had the flesh. and He was truly man of man. And this is implied in this. The humanity of Christ is very important because we needed a high priest in our own body who could die in our place for our race and redeem us from the curse, the broken law. And so Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That implies his humanity. But so does the second phrase. He was descended from David. He is truly human. Or we could say truly Jewish. And there's often a debate as to how Jesus looked. And no one really knows. And the pictures that are painted are often far from the truth. I mean they've got to be. Many of the great painters of the Renaissance painted Jesus as a European with extremely white skin. But this much I know, he didn't have white skin. He had olive skin. He was a Jewish man of the times. He was Middle Eastern. And by the way, race is not important in the sense of ethnicity for Christ. The thing that is important is that he took on flesh for all humanity of every race. Jesus Christ was descended from David, which means he was the line of the tribe of Judah. Very important. Which means his background was Jewish. His Bible was the Old Testament. His training was in the prophets. And he was always about his father's business. By the way, growing up in a carpenter shop or perhaps uh, the more accurate picture may just be a craftsman shop. It's very likely that Joseph was a stonemason. There wasn't a whole lot of wood around Galilee in that day. But he was a craftsman. And could have involved carpentry and Jesus would have learned that trade. He was about his father's business until he became focused on his father's business. He worked in the shop until the time when he publicly declared, I must be about my heavenly father's business. But he was truly man of man. When you go on a search for the historical Jesus, you will find the records abundantly clear and indeed abundant 
from the archaeologist's spade to the books and records we have that Jesus Christ indeed lived as a man. I find it interesting that a lot of theologians aren't going to give him this much that he was truly a man they want to somehow spiritualize everything but many unbelievers are willing to say oh yeah he was a man but that's all he was yet he was a man who died and was raised from the dead so you've got the humanity of Jesus which is talked about and emphasized by the way this sounds a lot like Romans chapter 1 that is it seems as though Paul is just cutting and pasting from a previous letter he had written to another church. He talks about Jesus Christ who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh but declared to be the Son of God with power by the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Declared to be the Son of Man and declared to be the Son of God. And those two things are important as we approach Easter and Good Friday. It's important to know who Jesus is. Remember Jesus Christ. But then we also notice in these portions of Scripture not only his humanity but his divinity. Because he was raised from the dead. This implies that he conquered death. And in fact, that's exactly what it says back in chapter 1, uh, verse 10, that Jesus destroyed death. He put death to death. Well, the wonderful musical that you will hear tonight, maybe you heard last night, and I think if you heard it last night, you'll want to be back tonight. And if you haven't heard it, don't miss tonight. The choir and the orchestra do a phenomenal job. But it talks about the fact that Jesus put death to death. That comes out of that wonderful song, In Christ Alone. And he had to, but the only way he could is if he is God, the Prince of Life. The paradox is the one who came to bring life died, but in dying conquered death so that you and I would live forever and ever. The fact that he is raised to life implies his divinity. It also implies that God the Father accepted the sacrifice of the Son. Did you ever think of that? The fact that God the Father raised Jesus up, and that's the way Paul describes it in the epistles, implies, declares that the offering that Jesus made for sinners on the cross was accepted on the cross Jesus became sin for us he who knew no sin became our sin offering all of our transgressions were thrown on him all of we like sheep had gone astray we turned everyone to his own way and the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all so much so that the father had to turn the back his back on God the Son. Why have you forsaken me? Was the cry from the Savior. And he knew. But in the agony of the moment. He cried out why? It's because the Father. Cannot look upon sin with favor. 
It's because the holy God of heaven will not allow sin ever to enter into his holy presence. But once Jesus died and said, it is finished, and had a ministry for three days and three nights is what we say. It was part of three days and three nights. It's a Jewish idiom that allows him to be crucified on Friday and raised on Sunday. During that period of time, he had a ministry, but he ascended to the Father. And the Father's message still is, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The resurrection proves that the Father has accepted the sacrifice of the Son. And that emphasizes his divinity. But there's one other thing that we need to emphasize in this phrase, descended from David. And it's more than just his ethnic line or even his connection to the human race. Those are true. But added to that is this wonderful truth that he is descended from David, which means he fulfills all the messianic prophecies. Prophecies like 2 Samuel chapter 7. The Lord, it was said to David through the prophet, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, the Lord has declared, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. Immediate application, King Solomon. He is the one who will build the house for my name and I will establish his throne and kingdom forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with rod. That refers to King Solomon. But referring to the Messiah, your house, David, and your kingdom will endure forever before me and your throne will be established forever. From your own body, David, one will reign on your throne forever. And Messiah says that indeed he reigns on the throne of David. He is everlasting God, almighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, wonderful Counselor, and he reigns on the throne of David forever. So all the promises, all the messianic promises are, promises are fulfilled. If you are an honest and objective person who loves to look at the facts and without bias make a conclusion, it boggles my mind if you look at the facts about the prophecies of Jesus Christ and the fulfillment in the person of the historic Christ and come away saying he's not Messiah. There's bias there, bias of sin bias of selfishness, whatever it is, because the facts are clear. But there's something else here that we see in this portion of Scripture. Why does Timothy even bring this up? Well, you say it's always good to remember Jesus, right? Right, but there's a theme that, that Paul is hammering. Actually, Timothy doesn't bring it up, but why does Paul bring it up to Timothy? There's a theme that Paul is hammering on over and over and over again. Timothy, don't be timid. Join me in suffering for the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me, the prisoner. <clears throat> don't be ashamed 
of the message of the cross, which makes me a prisoner. Timothy, if you're going to serve the Lord, 2 Timothy chapter 2, you've got to endure hardness like a soldier in war. And don't get entangled in civilian affairs. Timothy, if you're going to serve Jesus Christ, you've got to be like an athlete, disciplining his life, running according to the rules. Timothy, if you are going to be a follower of Christ and a servant of Christ, you've got to be like the hard-working farmer who is patient. Each one of those will be rewarded. The soldier with his pay. The athlete with a crown. The farmer with a crop. But you can't give up. You've got to keep working because things are hard. And after giving three metaphors of the soldier, of the athlete, of the farmer, he says, remember Jesus. Why? Because he suffered too. Remember, he suffered too. Paul said, by the way, this gospel is mine. Don't you love that in verse 8? According to my gospel. It doesn't mean that Paul invented it. It means that Paul embraced it. It means that Paul was entrusted with the gospel. But he could say, it's my gospel. Whenever I share Psalm 23 at a funeral the Lord is my shepherd I often quote what a, a great sage once said about that very popular psalm and it is this the most important word in Psalm 23 is the fourth word the little personal pronoun my because if you quote it like this the Lord is a shepherd doesn't mean much but when you can say the Lord is my shepherd, now you've got something. Many of you believe in Jesus Christ and you can say he is a savior. Jesus Christ is a good teacher. Jesus Christ is maybe son of God. You can say those things, but it means very little until you say he's my savior and this is my gospel. And some of you can't say that. It's your parents' gospel. It's your spouse's gospel. That's why you're here. And I don't mean to get on your case. I don't want to make you feel bad that you're here because of your spouse. That's a very good thing that you're here to support. But let's be frank. In your heart, you can't say, this is mine. It's hers. When are you going to make it yours? If Jesus Christ is who he said he was and is. That ought to radically change your life. If he lived and died and rose from the dead, that trumps everything else. Everything else, if you can pull that off, everything else you say must be true. And if Jesus isn't who he says he is, if he never came out of that tomb alive, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we are of all people most miserable. Let's stop playing the game. See, they're all or nothing with Christ. So accept the gospel. But when you do accept the gospel, understand this, it brings suffering. That's Paul's point. It happened to me and Timothy. Someday it will happen to you. And it happened to Christ and 
All who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. It may be as simple as someone at the water cooler at work saying to you, are you a Christian? And you say, my wife is. I go to church. That, that's a good answer, right? I go to church. Grew up in a Christian family. Everything you can to avoid saying, I am one. Because you're afraid of the next question that comes. Don't. Be ashamed of Jesus. He fulfills all the messianic prophecies. He died on your behalf. He paid the penalty for your sin. And he is alive. The writer of Hebrews said this. Consider him who endured such hostility, contradiction, opposition from sinners against himself. And this is the way you don't get weary and lose heart. Keep your eye on Christ. And so that's what Paul is doing for Timothy. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. This is a great week to do it. I don't know how you spend Holy Week, but I would encourage you to read over the, the portions of Scripture that talk about Today, Christ coming into Jerusalem and throughout the week, the interactions he has with the Pharisees and the messages he proclaims in John. And then, of course, on Friday, the crucifixion, all that led up to that. And then on Sunday, the resurrection. Let the word of God flow into your heart about this holy week. When you consider him, then you don't lose heart. And that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. You won't be ashamed. When you remember Jesus. It was back in 1967 that a young girl dove into the Chesapeake Bay and broke her neck and became a quadriplegic. Many of you know her as Johnny Erickson, who has since married and now is Johnny Erickson Tata, which means that for over 50 years she's been in a wheelchair. At first, she fought against her condition, determined to be healed. Well-meaning Christians came in and said, God can heal you, and he can. And if you pray in faith, he will heal, will heal you, but he didn't. Johnny was, well, she was frustrated and bitter against God. The friends who came in to pray for her healing said, well, the problem is, Johnny, you don't have enough faith. If you had enough faith, God would heal you. The problem is you, not God. What a horrible thing to say to people. So when she realized that her condition was going to be ongoing, she embraced it. After a period of time, she climbed out of her black hole emotionally and spiritually. And the thing that got her out was returning to the doctrines of the Bible about Christ and God and love and sin and salvation in Him. And she said the most important thing was the resurrection. She said, you know, if the resurrection simply meant that we were resuscitated to life after we die, as good as that might be, that would still be an eternity for me to be bound in a wheelchair. That doesn't sound like heaven. 
But she said the glorious thing about the resurrection is that he will raise our lowly bodies and make them like his glorious body. Johnny said, think of it. With these shriveled fingers and gnarled knees and, and this body that can't even do anything for it. No, no sensitivity from the neck down. This will be glorified. And she said, when, when I go to heaven, <laughs> the first thing I want to do is dance. You say, well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. We've been told not to dance. <laughs> She's going to dance. Because the hope of the believer is not just an eternal soul, but a glorified body. One time she was at a conference and the speaker said, I, I want you all to kneel at the end of the message. I want you all to kneel and let's pray. And Johnny grew up in a Reformed Episcopal church near Baltimore and, and they did a lot of kneeling. They're more of a liturgical type of church, very evangelical. She knew what it was to kneel. She grew up worshiping that way, but of course she couldn't. She was in a wheelchair and she sat there and the tears began to flow because I can't. But she said, one day when I get to heaven, and then she caught herself. She said, before the party gets started and I start dancing, I'm going to do something that I think might please my Savior even more. I'm going to get down on my glorified knees and praise Him for so great a salvation. Remember Jesus who was raised from the dead, fulfilling all the promises given to David's house. Can you say this is my gospel? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the message of Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter thrill our souls because it's love on display. It was love that took your breath away. It was your destroying death and rising from the tomb that makes you the glorious Lord of heaven and earth. And one day we too will be raised again. Lord, for those here this morning who don't know Christ, oh Lord, touch their heart. Let them know this is real that you are true, and they need to believe. They need to remember Jesus and trust him as Savior and King. In his name we pray, amen.